0: Pastor Chris's podcast. So today is March the 8th, 2020, Eno Domine, the year of our Lord. It is the second Sunday in Lent, and we celebrate today because Jesus, the Christ, whom the religious leaders and Roman authorities crucified nearly 2,000 years ago, rose from the grave on the third day. We mark the passing of time throughout history with the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord. Through the centuries, people have debated the identity of this man. Some have claimed that he was only a fictional character, and yet the evidence is clear that Jesus was a real man who lived in real time and real space. Some say that he was a revolutionary who, killed, who was killed because he stirred up a revolt in a volatile region of the Roman Empire. Some say Jesus was a religious leader fighting for social justice among the poor and oppressed. Others say he was a prophet or a rabbi. But if we really want to know who Jesus is, we should look to his own testimony. Jesus told us who he is in his own words through seven famous statements that we call The I am statements. Those seven statements are I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we are investigating one of these statements each week over the next several weeks. Last week, we learned that I am is the proper name of God. When God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, Moses told or God told Moses his name. He said, "Tell them that I am has sent you." And he said, "This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation." So the very first thing that we see about Jesus, what he said about himself is he claimed to be God. Every time Jesus said I am, the people around him gasped. Did he just say that? Yes, he did. Saying Jesus, saying God's name out loud or even writing it was a social taboo among the people that lived near Jesus. <laughs> Claiming to be God could get you stoned to death. And just in case you think I'm making all this up, being a preacher and kind of exaggerating, The phrase, I am, all you have to do is look at John chapter eight, verses 58 and 59, which says, this was Jesus speaking. He said, very truly, I tell you before Abraham was born, I am at this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself and slipping away from the temple grounds. Jesus claimed that he was God. He says it plainly in John 10, verse 30, where he says, I and the father, I and the father are one. But today we're going to consider the second I am statement that Jesus made from John chapter eight, verse 12, which says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Now, this simple two-sentence statement is nestled between two incredible stories in the Gospel of John that show us Jesus' character. And it reveals how Jesus' identity and very existence infuriated his enemies. The first story is a very famous one. You may have heard it before. It's from the first 11 verses of 8th chapter of John. And just to summarize it for you, um, the Pharisees and religious leaders caught a woman in the very act of adultery. And they dragged her naked out into the public square where Jesus was teaching the crowds. And they threw her down in front of him and said, what should we do with this woman? She was caught in the very act of adultery. And the law of Moses in the Old Testament says that we are to stone her to death. And they were trying to trap Jesus by this statement. I want you to understand, they didn't really care what God wanted. They didn't care about what was right and what was wrong and what the law said. What they were doing was trying to trap Jesus because they knew everybody loves Jesus. And he's always telling them things that they love to hear. Let's see how they like it when we force him to enact The death penalty according to what the Bible says. That's what they wanted. They didn't care about the woman. They didn't care about the sin. They didn't care about right or wrong. They just cared about using someone as a weapon to trap Jesus and make him look bad. We know that they didn't care about right or wrong because it says they dragged the woman out and threw her in front of Jesus. Where's the man? You know, adultery, it takes two people. But they only drag the woman out there. And they're thinking, so what's Jesus going to do now? Either on the one hand, he's going to have to say, yes, stone the woman, and the crowds are going to be appalled. Or two, he's going to have to say, no, don't follow what the Bible says. So they think, we've got him. There's no way out of this for him. And so... What Jesus does is amazing. It it perfectly embodies both truth and love. First thing he does is he stoops down on the ground and he begins to write in the sand on the ground. And we don't know what he wrote. People have speculated about it ever since he did it. Some people have said he was writing out all the sins of all the people in the crowd standing around holding stones ready to stone the woman. I like that one. I don't know if that's what really happened, but it makes a lot of sense to me. Eventually, he stands up and he says, All right, the one among you who has never sinned, you be the first one to cast a stone. So you imagine this crowd of people standing around, holding stones, big stones, looking at this naked woman lying on the ground and imagining Throwing stones at them, and they start thinking, Am I perfect? What have I done? Some of them had done terrible things that they would never want anyone to know. Things perhaps that would mean that they should be the one who was stoned to death. And one by one, they drop their stones and they go away. And then in John chapter 8, verse 10 and 11. Jesus says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. The next time Jesus spoke to the people in the eighth chapter is when he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I'll go into the second famous story in a minute, but first I must say how much this statement Jesus said irked the Pharisees. They were like, you can't say that. You can't say that. You can't claim to be God. And they were frustrated that Jesus so perfectly thwarted their attempt to trap Him with a woman caught in adultery. And Jesus perfectly embodies truth and love. And the second story... Well, before we get to the second story... So the Pharisees had this great debate. They say, you can't tell people that you're God. You can't say I am. And you can't claim to be the light of the world. And Jesus begins to debate with them. And he's saying to them, it's it's so clear who I am, but you won't accept it. John chapter 8, verses 34-38, to Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You don't know. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in my father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. And then he and then they're like, "Well, our father is Abraham. These were Jewish people and they said, "We are descendants from Abraham. We're not slaves to anybody. We're free people. Abraham is our father." And he says, "Abraham is not your father." If Abraham was your father, you see, Abraham what he wanted more than anything was to follow God and to be in God's presence and he longed for the day when the Messiah would come. If Abraham was here today, he would, accept, he would have accepted Jesus Christ for who he was. He would have said, yes, you are indeed the light of the world. But these Pharisees and these religious leaders, they have a different father. Because they don't care one bit about God or about right and wrong or about who Jesus is as the son of God. What they care about more than anything is protecting their place. Protecting their reputation, protect, protecting their power. And they're willing to sacrifice a woman's life and right and wrong. And they're willing to, to stone to death the Son of God in order to protect their position. Their father's not Abraham. Jesus says, your father is the devil. He's the father of lies. And the religious leaders hate Jesus. They rejected Him. They would not accept Him no matter what He did, no matter what He said. They would not be convinced no matter what anyone said or did. They were stuck in darkness. They were slaves to sin. And they refused to be rescued. And basically the the Pharisees said, You claim to be God. You have no proof. Your testimony isn't valid. And that brings me to the second story. It's in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John. In this story, Jesus and the disciples are walking along and they see a man who is blind. He had been blind since the day he was born. He's never been able to see anything. And the disciples start asking, well, is this man blind because of some sin that he did? Or is it some sin of his parents? And Jesus said, you're looking at this all wrong. This man is here today so that God can be glorified. And he bends over and he grabs the man and he heals him of his blindness. And this man who had been blind since the day he was born suddenly can see perfectly. And Jesus sends them off to the temple and says, go give glory to God. And of course, he runs into the religious leaders who said that Jesus is not God, who reject Jesus and won't say he is God and won't accept anything he says. And they basically say, you have no proof of what you're saying. And guess who comes along? The proof. Here's a man who is blind from birth and can see because Jesus healed him. And the Pharisees are come, are dumbfounded by this. What do we do with this? So they start asking the guy. Because they're saying in their mind, it can't possibly be that Jesus healed, healed this man. It must be that this man looks like the guy we know was blind from birth. You know, isn't that how we do it? We start to rationalize things when we don't want to believe something or we don't understand how we can believe it. We start trying to figure out how is this possible, and we try to come up with all of the rational ways, but there is no rational way in this. They say, well, maybe this isn't really the guy we know was born blind. Maybe it's just someone who looks like him. So they go to his parents, and they ask his parents, is this your son, the one that was blind from the day he was born? And if so, how is it that he can now see? And his parents are kind of afraid of the religious leaders, what they could do to them. And so they say, well, yes, this is our son. We know it's our son. And we know he was born blind. And we know that he can see now. But we don't know how that happened. And so the Pharisees bring back in the blind men and they say, give glory to God. God's the one that did this. It couldn't have been Jesus because he's a sinner. Give glory to God. And and the blind guy says, well, I don't know how it happened, but I know that I was once blind and now I can see and Jesus is the one that healed me. And again, the religious leaders just don't know what they can do because Jesus has proven that he is who he says he is. Who in the world can make someone who was blind from birth be able to see again? We live in a modern scientific age with amazing abilities with our medicine, and we still struggle. I don't know if that's possible for doctors and surgeons today to make someone who was blind from birth be able to see, but Jesus did it. And yet the Pharisees and religious leaders said, We don't accept it, we reject it, we don't know who you are, but this is not right. This cannot be. And the blind man says this, and I just laugh every time I read this. John chapter 9, verse 30. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, but he opened my eyes. The blind man can see the religious leaders are blind. They are walking in darkness. And Jesus, the light of the world, not only helps us to see, but he also reveals the real motives of people. The Pharisees didn't want to accept Jesus no matter what. The miracle was obvious, impossible to fake, but the Pharisees would not accept it because it didn't fit into their selfish agenda. Sinful people are always like Pharisees who try to manipulate the truth, try to make it say what they want it to say, what they need it to say, based on their own twisted agendas. But Jesus is who he is. He is the great I am. And those who follow Jesus Never have to walk in darkness. He shows the way. It takes some time where you can tune your heart to see His light, but with practice and the help of the Holy Spirit, we can see and we can follow the light of His love. But you can't be like the Pharisees who cling to their position, to their ways, to their motives to their desires. You have to have faith in the one true and living God, the great I Am, the light of the world. You have to have faith in Him and you have to turn away from everything else and follow Him and obey Him. As we come near to the close of the message, I want to give you three things that can help you begin to walk in the light of christ first one is to pray you have to learn to tune your heart to feel just like you have to tune your eyes and your ears have you ever heard a sound often like maybe somewhere in your house you hear this sound this faint sound and you you hear it you know it's there but you can't quite make it out and you, you try to get quiet and make everyone be quiet and you strain your ears and you listen, try to figure out what is that that I'm hearing? Or maybe you are trying to read something that is really not clearly written or it's in really small print and your eyes, Ron's shaking his head, your eyes are getting, you know, older <laughs> and you can't quite read it and you have to turn the light on really good and you have to squint your eyes and you have to really look at it closely to make it out and you can see what it says do you ever do that with your heart as you pray as you're listening for what is it god is saying to me not straining your ears not straining your eyes but straining your heart to feel to be sensitive what is god what is christ saying to me. You have to learn to do that as we pray. And we have to read Scripture. We have to treasure God's Word in our heart. We have to read it. We have to meditate on it. We have to soak it in so that His Word becomes so much a part of our lives and who we are that it's, it's just there. And so that as we pray His Word begins to bubble up to the surface of our heart and we are tuned in to what He's saying to us. Then you must go another step further. You must serve. You have to put into action the faith that God is giving you. As you've been praying, as you've been soaking up the Scripture, the Lord is telling you what to do. And you have to go out and you have to do it. It's not enough. For it just to be intellectual or even a feeling that you have it has to be something you do. And in Matthew chapter five, verse 14, Jesus said another exp- statement about light, because he had been saying, I am the light of the world. But then he said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And he said, you need to do good deeds and you need to let your good deeds shine before people that they might bring glory to God. And it's not that we are bragging and trying to make ourselves look good because there, frankly, is no light in us. We are sinful people. It is the light of Christ that comes and lives in us and and inspires us and motivates us to go out and to do good things, to love people the way Christ loves them. And when we do, it doesn't bring glory to us. It brings glory to God. And you are like a light, the light of the world. It's because the light of Christ, who's the light of the world, has come and resides in your heart. So as we close, I leave you with this question. Is Jesus in you? Is his light in you? Have you been trying to shine your own light like the Pharisees? Or have you trusted in Christ and given your life to him and truly let him be in charge of everything about your life? Your Lord so that the Holy Spirit comes to reside within you and the light of the world becomes the light that shines from you. Is Jesus in you? If not, maybe today is the day that you invite him to come and be in you. Let us pray. O great light of the world, thank you for showing us the way. Give us the courage and the faith, the willingness to trust you, to turn away from our own ways and follow you. Let your light shine brightly in us. In Christ we pray. Amen.